If you look online, how much I'm trying to make per subscriber I've got, the thing is $1. Literally every email marketing course we've ever bought has been trying to get people to that point. We had a big marketing guru try to uh, sell us on installing his system that was going to get us to $1 per subscriber per month. And we had to say to somebody, we adore is like our Taylor Swift. We had to say to this person, please don't because you make us bankrupt. Our earning per subscriber per month is $20. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise. Keep going and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Welcome back to the Boss Bay Podcast. All right, you guys, one of the main reasons I love doing VIP days is because I learned so much just diving into other people's businesses. And then also every single person I work with is such a master at what they do that I always end up learning from them in return. Like I just absolutely love them. Anyway, I hosted a VIP day a few months ago with a couple of guys that are actually from Newcastle, where I'm from in the UK. They had flown out to Austin, came to my house, and I like have known them for so long and they have an incredible business and we were strategizing together. And as we were going through all of their frameworks, they were sharing with me what their frameworks are. And we were coming up with hooks and titles and funnels and all that stuff that I absolutely love. But as they were outlining their frameworks and stories to me, I was learning so much. Like I was having so many breakthrough moments as well. And I said to them, what you've been sharing with me on this day, you need to come on the podcast and share with my audience because it is mind blowing. And I actually went away and implemented some of what they taught me. So I had this big belief that, you know, once you've sold a certain product to a certain segment of your list, you kind of move on and do something else. And they have a really interesting, unique perspective on it. And to be honest, they talk about stuff with email marketing that I haven't like heard other people talk about or in a way that I haven't heard other people talk about. So this for me was such a mind blowing episode. And not only did they teach some really amazing stuff, but we got so practical and tactical like the biggest takeaways, things that you can go away and do today. You can have your team listen to this episode. I had my entire team listen to this episode and actually start getting results today. They say a couple of things in here that will blow your mind when you hear it and you'll think, why have I not been doing this earlier? Like if I've been in business for a decade, why did I not start doing this 10 years ago? Because it makes so much sense. So with that, I am really, really excited to introduce you to Rob and Kennedy. So they are the founders of Email Marketing Heroes and they help business owners and marketers to sell more of their existing products by tapping into the wide range of triggers that cause more people to buy. So they have a really interesting background. We're going to get into that. They are a hypnotist and a mind reader. So the things that they really apply are psychology based. And it's so fascinating to hear the way that they think. I'm really, really excited for you to meet these guys. Any links that you need, I'm going to put below. But with that, let's dive into the episode. Rob Kennedy, welcome to the Boss Bay podcast. We're doing it. Hello. I've known you guys for so long. I've known you guys way longer than you've known me because Kennedy, I saw you perform at my school and you were doing mind reader tricks and it was awesome. And Rob, I saw you perform at my university hypnotizing people and seeing both of you perform is something I will never, ever forget. And I can't actually remember how we then connected after the fact, but I've known you a very, very long time. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, we have. I think uh, Boss Bay was a twinkle in someone's eye, you know, even then. I wasn't even a twinkle in your eye at that point. Uh, yeah, it's amazing how we've all sort of grown and done the entrepreneurial thing off the back of just wandering around going, what should I do? Good old Newcastle. It breeds some good ones. So um, there's probably people listening being like, Natalie, why have you got a mind reader and a hypnotist on the podcast? What's going on? Can you guys give me a bit of background and the listeners a bit of background on yourselves and then how you ended up in the email marketing world, which I know we're going to get to in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So it's obviously a crazy backstory. I'm Rob, by the way. I'll be using this voice for the rest of the episode. So you'll be able to distinguish us a bit. If you've ever seen our photographs, I'm the one with the red hair. Kennedy's the... Um, the Good looking, funny one using this voice being lovely. Kennedy's the other one. We'll just say Kennedy's the other one. As Natalie said, I'm a hypnotist, have been for the last like 20 years, traveling almost all over the world, performing my show, hypnotizing people, making them do crazy things for entertainment. Uh, Kennedy is a mind reader. Folks in the States might know that better as a mentalist. That means something different in the UK. But basically that means he uses skills like body language, psychology, understanding human behavior and statistics to make it look like he can read people's minds, to create the illusion of reading people's minds. And when we started doing that, for me right out of school and for Kennedy straight out of university, because he's a bit older than me, just saying. All right, uh, okay. Uh, he, we basically realized we'd accidentally started businesses, right? Because as an entertainer, it is a business. You don't just stick an ad in the yellow pages and then wait for the phone to ring. So all we wanted to do was get on stage and, and entertain people. And you can, I bet there'll be people listening to this who can relate to that. You just want to do the thing that you want to do. But as a result of that, you've now got to learn about branding and pricing and marketing and positioning and all of the st- accounts and all of the other stuff that you need to do. And so we'd accidentally started these businesses. We both started using email marketing to do this stuff. And this is like really early on in email marketing. It was really basic. All you could do was collect subscribers. You could have a really linear sequence of like follow-up emails. There were only like three email marketing platforms in existence. And we both just independently, without really talking about it, we were like closet email marketers, just both signed up for these email marketing platforms, started doing email as a way to get clients, get referred to new gigs, that kind of thing. And then eventually we started swapping notes on what was working and what wasn't working, formed like a little two-person mastermind. I was living on the Greek island of Kos at the time. Kennedy was in the northeast of England. And we would sometimes sit on Skype all day long, just with music playing, barely saying a word. But every now and then, we, we, we inv- basically invented virtual co-working about 2003. And then we would like just swap notes back and forth about what was happening. And then that eventually led to us starting a business together. Uh, there's a long story there. But we started a business together and ended up teaching entrepreneurs of all sorts how to do email marketing. So we got asked to speak at events, be on podcasts like this one. And uh, yeah, now we've helped thousands of businesses all over the world to basically apply the psychology that we use as a hypnotist and a mind reader directly to email marketing to make it more impactful, more profitable and email marketing that doesn't make you want to be sick in your mouth, basically. How do you even find out that being a mind reader and a hypnotist is a job? How did that even come into your awareness first? I think it's insecurity as a child. I think it's paranoia of wanting to impress people and be noticed and have significance. And also the paranoia of what are people really thinking about me? I think for both of us, we saw entertainers on the TV doing something related to what we do and thought, I wonder how you do that and started playing around with it. And then, I mean, for me, I was messing around in, in some bar trying to impress some some girl, probably. In fact, I know definitely who it was. Never went on an actual date with her, but one of my best friends now. And somebody came up to me while she was like at the loo or at the bar or whatever and said, oh, that's really good what you're doing. And I was like, 
what do you mean? What, flirting terribly? And he was like, no, 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 we've got this event. We've, we could come and do this, this stuff at this event. And so that led me to do one gig. That led to another gig. And somehow people just kept booking us. And like Rob said, the whole key to this is, but at some point, there is a point when you're following this passion, when you've, you're an accidental entrepreneur, you've accidentally ended up doing this stuff. At some point, you have to go, bloody hell, I've actually got to like step up. I've got to take this seriously. I've got to probably get an accountant after how many years I've just been taking the cash. Or I, I never did that, by the way, uh, Your Honor. And uh, or you, you've got to do marketing because you go, well, I haven't got time to do anything else. I never want to get a job. And like neither of us have ever pulled a pint served a coffee, served tables. Neither of us have ever had to do that. We've ended up just rolling from one thing to the other. And that's what's really interesting because by ending up having to learn how to market ourselves as entertainers, other entertainers started saying, how are you so busy? Like I've done, I've put fake inquiries in with you. I know you're expensive, so it's not because you're cheap. How are you so booked up? How are you flying all around the world to do this stuff? And so the other entertainers, in Rob's case, other hypnotists, in my case, mind readers, magicians, all kinds of entertainers saying, how would you do this? And we both started coaching programs, coaching other entertainers on how to build their businesses and giving them that ability to support their families and, and actually value themselves. Because a lot of people who are entrepreneurial, don't we don't value our skills, do we? We just take for, for granted what the stuff that we do is. Um, so doing that, and then as Rob said, that turned into people who are not entertainers saying, hey, can you come and apply this to a more broad thing? So that's kind of the journey really. I think one of the best things about how good you are at email marketing and connecting with your audience is because of your backgrounds. Like the way that you pull me in with every single email, no one else does that. And I'm on every newsletter. I follow every email marketer, every online marketer. And the way that you guys pull in with emails from the stories you tell, the subject lines, the way you get people to click, it is like nothing I've ever seen. I'm excited to dive into that stuff. But I also have to ask, have you used any of these Jedi mind tricks in normal situations, like outside of stages? And do you have any stories? I've got to tell you this. that I, I, Somebody asked me once, when was the first time you ever like influenced somebody else? And, and you, you rack your brain, you think, what have I done? What have I done? And I think I've pinpointed the exact moment when I realized I could say things in certain ways to influence somebody else. And it was totally manipulating my own mother. I remember it was like two days after Christmas. And what happened is in the Kennedy household, there was loads of toys and sweets, big boxes of roses, chocolates, and quality street. If you're in the UK, you'll know what they are. It's a tradition to have them under the tree. And I remember my mum saying to me, well, you go and put all your toys and your sweets up in your bedroom. And I said, and I thought about it. And of course I was a kid. I was like seven or something. I was like, I don't want to do that. Of course I don't want to do that. I want to sit and play on me roller skates or whatever the heck I was doing. And I thought, how am I going to get out of this? So I just said to my mum, I said, well, could I put them on the table like you did last year? And of course she said yes, because now we all know what's really going on. We could, if you all lean in and think about what I just said there, can I just do what you did last year? There's no way my mum could have said no to that because she would have to have decided that she was wrong to have done that in the past. So I basically totally manipulated my mum out of having to tidy up my toys and, and sweets and stuff. So for me, that was the first time. Rob, when was the first time? Have you ever used your hypnotic abilities? I don't think I have. I'd love to have a, some wild story, some wild and crazy story about everything that happened. Uh, it's tricky to do with what you do, though, because you can't like just put the whammy on someone without them knowing, can you? Put can the you not just like when you're calling, 
a call center and you're trying to get a refund and they're not giving you a refund, can you not just be like, close your eyes, come back? <laughs> <laughs> Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. They start getting suspicious at that point. Have you got a pocket watch anywhere handy? <laughs> I'm literally imagining the two of you just like floating through life, getting everything you want, just being like, Imagine. like no like one a, saying no. It sounds like a great <laughs> Netflix drama, doesn't it? One day, one day they'll make it. So good. And so based on all the things that you've learned being performers in these areas, where do you feel like people make the most mistakes when it comes to marketing? And I love when you say doing marketing because it's such a big thing, isn't it? Like we were talking about this when you were at my house, like when people do social media, like what are you doing? (laughs) I think there's a few bits to it, especially, I mean, let's, let's dive into email with this specifically. I think one of the things, there's two bits of psychology that we like to apply to email marketing. And it's partly the psychology of the words that you put in the emails that you send and the structure of the campaigns and all that stuff. But it's also the psychology of you as the person doing the email marketing. One of the big shifts that we've made, and thank you for your kind words before about saying all the emails draw you in and all of that. One of the big shifts that we made in email marketing is rather than thinking of it as like a, an irritating, broadcastable marketing activity or sales activity that we have to do because we've been told that we've got this list and they're an asset and we should send them emails and they might buy stuff, is we really flip this around to be rather than like we've broken into their house and here we are bombarding their inbox with stuff, which is how most people feel about email marketing when they're doing it. We flipped it all around to really feel about, actually, this is a thing that I'm going to do and I'm going to offer and I'm going to invite people to come and be part of that. And if they want to be part of that, that's great. So what that means is that what's actually happening is when somebody signs up to your email list, we come into it with a full mindset that actually what's happened is they've knocked on the door, on your door, you've opened it, you've said, hey, come in, sit down, make yourself comfortable, have a cup of tea, and they're welcome to be there for as long as they want. But they can't start complaining about your choice of wallpaper or you know what you feed your kids or like what you know the behavior of your dog. They can't complain about any of that stuff because if they don't like anything about your house, they can get up and leave at any point. And the way that most people think about email marketing and actually a lot of marketing generally is that what's actually happened is that you've come in, you've kicked the door down of their house, you've barged in, you've spray painted your signature on the walls, you're you know, helping yourself to a cup of tea, you're just leaving stuff all over the place. And that's just not the case at all. And so what that means is just having that little reframe allows you to escape from so many of the common traps that people fall into, like worrying about when people unsubscribe. We really don't care worrying about people replying and saying, you're sending me too many emails. We really don't care because at any point, remember every email by law has an unsubscribe link at the bottom. At any point, those people can get up and they can walk out the front door and shut the door behind you. Our whole approach to email is whatever niche or market you're in, right? Let's imagine you teach some sort of specific technique for weight loss, right? And you're looking to get people who consider themselves to be overweight. You don't need every single one of those people on earth to be on your list in order to have a really great business. But for some reason, people are trapped into this mindset of trying to build this enormous list. Whereas actually like our list right now is it sits at around 5,000 subscribers, which for the amount of money we make is ludicrous. And people are like, how's that even possible? And part of it is what we really care about is having a really tight core group of like five, 6,000 amazing subscribers who love us, who pay attention. Of course, that's a rolling number. Some people are falling out of love with us as new people are joining. That's fine. But we want to keep that number really condensed. And by having this mindset with it all, again, this is the psychology of you as the person sending the emails. It gives you so much confidence and freedom to know that I can email these people as much as I want. I can say whatever I want to say to these people, just as I would say to anyone who was sat in my living room at home, because that's ultimately the environment that you want to create for this. You don't need everyone in your niche to be on your list in order to have a really thriving business. I really hope that's sunk in with people listening because it's the way I think about social media too. So often people are afraid to show up and put themselves out while they're with social media. And actually it's the same thing. People are opting in to follow you because they want to see and they want to hear what you've got to say. And so I think that is such an interesting reframe. I love that you've brought it up. 
Right. So I want to dive into some tactical things. And there's something that I have never told you guys, which I've been saving for this podcast. So you both flew out to Austin to do a VIP day with me. It was so much fun. And I love doing VIP days because I feel like I learn just as much from clients as they might learn from me in that day. And there's something you told me on that day that has changed everything for me in my business. And I'll let you tell the story, but I want to tell you the result that I got from it first. So you were talking about how you'd sold from stage and you'd sold a certain amount. And in the weeks and months following that, how much you then made from that same cohort of people that you initially sold to. And that really blew my mind. And I sat with it and I realized I had this block around selling the same thing to the same people more than once. So an example is, let's say I did a webinar for influencer school. You know, they go through the whole funnel. They decide, yes, I do want to join. I don't want to join. The bonuses expire. And then we go back to just emailing them once a week on our newsletter. That's what I'd always done. That's what I'd been doing. And it was working pretty well. And when you told me that, both of you were sharing those stats with me. And I remember my jaw just being on the ground. And in my head, I was just doing all this mental math of like, wait a minute, Ali, there are so many people probably sitting on your list that weren't ready for the offer because they only had two weeks to decide. And a lot of people need a lot longer than two weeks to make big decisions, especially financial decisions or career decisions that could completely alter the path that they're on. And so I decided to do an experiment with my email list. And so I got all my team on a call and I told them all about you guys. We joined your programs. We started really just absorbing everything we could out of your world. And we decided, okay, we're going to look at all the different segments we have of our list, people that have came in for our membership, our online launch school program, our influencer school program. And what we're going to do is we're just going to drop them back into the same funnel. So perhaps they joined six months ago. We're going to drop them back into the same funnel. The results have been absolutely phenomenal. When I tell you phenomenal, we have made more through doing that than we actually were making in the live launches. And it blew my mind. And I want to share this because I'm someone that has been doing email marketing for a decade. I'm someone that really thought that I was pretty good at what I was doing. I understand funnels inside out. I got my funnels dialed, my conversion rates dialed. And what you said to me completely changed my business. Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture, and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design, and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. 
Let's take a quick pause to talk about my new favorite all-in-one platform, Kajabi. You know I've been singing their praises lately because they have helped our business run so much smoother and with way less complexity, which I love. Not to mention our team couldn't be happier because now everything is in one place. So it makes collecting data, creating pages, collecting payment, all the things so much simpler. One of our mottos at Boss Babe is simplify to amplify and Kajabi has really helped us do that this year. So of course I needed to share it here with you. It's the perfect time of year to do a bit of spring cleaning in your business, you know? Get rid of the complexity and instead really focus on getting organized and making things as smooth as possible. I definitely recommend Kajabi to all of my clients and students. So if you're listening and haven't checked out Kajabi yet, now is the perfect time to do so because they are offering Boss Babe listeners a 30-day free trial. Go to kajabi.com slash boss babe to claim your 30 day free trial. That's kajabi.com slash boss babe. And so that's also a big thing that I'm really excited for you to share with the audience because I want people to know right now how much money they have in their list. So can you share with them what you shared with me that has completely changed my business, please? Totally, totally. So there's two really important things here, right? The first thing is you might have heard the phrase and, you know, I want you to like do whatever you can to, to sort of know that this was you. We've all heard the phrase, the money is in the list, right? We've heard this phrase, the money is in the list. You've got to have an email list. You've got to have an email list. Now you've got to have an email list. That person's going to have an email list. Everyone's going to have an email list because the money's in the list. And then later, some, some smart people came along and said, no, 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 the money's not in the list. The money's in the relationship with the list. Oh, that's what it is. It's in the relationship with the list. You have a relationship with the list. Great. None of that's true. None of that's true. And this is what we said to you and you like laughed your face off. I said, if the money is in the list, it's in the wrong place. If the money is still locked up in a vault of your list, it's in the wrong flipping place. If the, if the money needs to be in your pocket, it needs to be in your bank account. Because if it's there, you can invest it. You can enjoy it. You can support your life with it. You can do what you want. If the money is in the list, it's in the wrong place. And that's a really important thing. Our job is to withdraw the money from the list. And we have to do that by giving great value, by helping people, by doing what all the things we know how to do, right? That's a really important thing. We have to do that. The impact of doing exactly what you've just said, and thank you so much for sharing that. It's amazing. I'm so, I, I can't even tell you. I've got goosebumps hearing that you've done this and, and it's, made, it's given you results. The big impact that this kind of stuff has when you re-offer the same product, the same service, your same thing, and you do it again to people, what happens? They go, oh, I already have the echoes in my mind of the information and the excitement and the buzz of other people buying it the last time I heard about it. So I've already got context. I've already got a frame. But now's the right time for me because I've got the time. Let's be honest, the biggest reason people don't invest in any of our things is usually because of their time, because the timing is wrong. We can make the payment terms easier. We can show them the value and then they're in your world to be offered value. But the timing thing is much trickier. In fact, I don't mind talking in numbers and tell you the impact that this has had for us and our business, if that's, if that's okay. Some people get freaked out by numbers, but you know the, the numbers I'm about to share with you for some people listening to this will be like, well, that's nothing. That's, it's not about the numbers. So some people will be like, flipping heck. Again, 
It's not about our exact numbers. It's about the percentage and what this would mean for you. So we took one of our email campaigns that we give people inside of our programs. It's called the Overture, right? We have fun names for all of our campaigns to to remind you what they're about, the metaphors, what they're about. This email campaign, simplest thing in the world. Six emails, one day after the other to sell your thing. Great. For one product, for this one product, one offer of ours, that made us $27,000. 27 grand, that's a nice time. Like, it's a lot of lovely haircuts for Rob and I. It's, it's, it's lovely. 27 grand not to be sniffed at. And we do that. And then Rob and I were booked to do a keynote uh, at a large marketing conference in Las Vegas. And I said, Rob, because he's the, he's the stats guy. And I said, can you go and dig out the data of what the impact of having what we call our score email engine is? And he went along and he found the data. So the score email engine is our methodology, and we can get into it in, in some detail if you want, our methodology for showing up and re-offering the same product, the same service, the same damn thing to the same people, not getting new email subscribers. Everyone's obsessed. Get more email subscribers. We've got a phrase, and that is, hopefully you take this away, email subscribers are not Pokemon. You don't have to catch them all, Right. It's not about getting more email subscribers. We turned it to the same email subscribers with the same offer. And we did it four more times, right? We did it four more times. The difference, you might go, did it multiply? Was it 400%? Was it 400% increase? Because surely they got tired and some people didn't pay attention for the same product. We didn't create a new product. We didn't have to put a new course together. We didn't have to put a new, get, have the expense of a new landing page or, or a new copy. None of the heartache that comes with putting a new offer together. None of that. To the same people, no expense of bringing new people in. Made us more than $500,000. An 1,800% increase in sales of our one product. That means we, we helped more people. We impacted more people. And we made more profit to sit in our pocket. So doing this stuff, re-offering stuff to your list, especially when most people have given up and gone, well, I've told them about that now, next. That's where your biggest opportunity is. And one thing that's worth mentioning is that those campaigns were like one after the other. This was back to back. This was like, you know, four, uh, five campaigns in five, six weeks. It wasn't five campaigns spread with a couple of months in between each one to give people time to recharge. Like it was literally back to back. Can you talk about the specifics of that? Because just hearing the stats, it just absolutely blows my mind. And there's probably people listening saying, okay, well, what do we change? Do we create deadlines? Do we offer bonuses? Do we create new copy? What specifically would it look like? If someone's sitting there, let's say they just closed a launch and they didn't hit the goal, they didn't hit where they wanted to be. And they're like, wait, are you saying I've got a second, third, fourth chance of actually hitting my goal for the same product, same launch? So this really comes down to two things. First of all, is the fact that people buy for totally different reasons. Kennedy and I are a really good example of this. I change my MacBook every single year, but he will drive his MacBook until the wheels fall off. But if a brand new, I can't remember what it is, but some fancy aftershave he buys, if a new aftershave scent comes out, he's going to like go and throw a thousand dollars at them immediately. Whereas I don't care. So like we're motivated by different things. Not only that, but to make this more difficult, we're all motivated to buy different things at different times for different reasons based on different things. So the same product 
can motivate us to buy it differently based on, on what's going on in our lives and in the world and all of that. So basically, that's the first thing to realize. And the second thing to realize is that generally speaking, when you talk about something, people don't absorb it the way that you think that they do. So we will quite regularly talk to somebody who's just joined our world and we'll say, hey, what happens when you launch a new product? What do you do with your email list? And they say, well, I sort of send a couple of emails about it to let them know. Then I go and post on Instagram and then I do a Facebook group live and do all this stuff. And I go, go back to the email bit. What did you say? So I send a couple of emails out about it. I said, right, what's in those couple of emails? And they go, well, one of them tells them what the product is and what it'll do for them and who it's good for and a, a testimonial about it and like why they should buy it now. And then the second one, maybe I'll add a bonus in and it go, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you've just talked like three months worth of emails and you're sending them two emails. Because if you bury everything in one or two emails, it's like creating a game of Where's Wally, as we call it in the UK, Where's Waldo and other parts of the world, where Waldo's just surrounded by so much other stuff that looks exactly the same it's hard to find him. And our email marketing shouldn't be a game of where's Wally, right? Our email marketing is designed to pull out the things that are most important and show them to people. So what we do with this, and we'll tell you what SCORE stands for, because this is our SCORE methodology, is that there are basically five different things we need to be doing in our email marketing to appeal to different people at different times. And they are the following. The first one is direct sales. And there's this myth with email marketing that's been perpetuated over the last few years that when somebody joins your list, you need to nurture them to death. You need to nurture them and nurture them and then nurture them some more. And then hopefully one day they'll buy from you. And we are not in that game. Email marketing is the most direct response thing we can do. And we have to be driving for a sale quickly. We found that if people don't buy from us in the first 60 days of being on our email list, the chance of them ever buying from us plummets to less than 5%. The reason that we, we start off with this direct sales campaign, that's what the S of score stands for, by the way, S for sales. The reason that we want to offer the a direct sales campaign as soon as someone joins your email list is think about if someone goes into A&A to the emergency room and they've got their leg hanging off and there's blood splurting all over the walls, you don't want the doctor to come out and go, let me tell you about why I came into medicine. <laughs> Like, dude, like, sew my leg back on. I've got an emergency, right? For many of us, okay, most of us are not are not surgeons, and if you are, respect to you, amazing, love love your work, right? But people have joined your email list because they've got a problem, and they believe you might have the solution. And for some people, that's a really urgent problem. So you yeah. might go, oh, I just I just do social media graphics for people, but why do people want social media graphics? Because they need clients really, really quickly. So don't have that person bleed out. Let that person respond and get the help they need immediately. And that's the issue with this, right? The way that most people teach email marketing now takes the people who are most desperate to buy from you and it kicks them wildly down the road so that you can, busy, you can be busy nurturing the people who need nurturing but that's ludicrous. So we take this, the sales campaign and that goes out first. So it's literally, it's what Kennedy described. It's like six to 10 emails that just sell the thing. But everything that somebody would normally bury in one email becomes its own email. So we have one email that talks about what the transformation is. We have one email that tells them what the bonuses are. We have one email that gives them social proof and testimonials rather than trying to bury all of that in one email. But what we realized is when people get to the end of that campaign, that's only taken care of one of the five major buyer types, which is the direct person who just needs to be sold to. And remember, that could be all of us for different things. It's not like everyone is a direct buyer for everything. That's just, it's going to depend on what it is. But there's a bunch of people who need a bit more education. They need a bit more work. So we then go into the C of score, which stands for content. And we put them through a content-driven sales campaign. And this is where, again, most people do content wrong in our eyes. Most people send content to their email list because they've been told to nurture their email list with content. 
But actually, we only ever send content to our audience, to our email list that is directly linked to a sale somehow. So it might be that they click to watch a video and off the back of watching that video, we then put them into a different sequence that sells them something. And we only show that sequence to the people who click to watch the video. Great. That way, the people who never click, they never raise their hand to express interest. They just carry on. They never know there was an offer. Just Robin Kennedy, these cool guys sent, well, these guys uh, sent me a free video and I got to go and watch it. That's awesome. But the people who do click, they now get funneled off into this, this separate sequence that now follows up directly on what they raised their hand about and sells to them. So we put one of those in place. Some people get to the end of that and they say, well, that was all that was all good and well, but they still haven't bought. The next most likely reason for that is that they've got some objection that we haven't handled somewhere. Or if you have handled it, which is quite likely because you know your stuff, it's just not been pulled out and made obvious enough. So we put them into an objection handling campaign. So one of the ways we do this is we'll send them, literally send them a quick survey. We'll say, hey, listen, we just noticed we've been telling you about this thing for a few weeks. You haven't bought it. I'd love to know why. And we actually got this idea originally from years and years and years ago, watched huge name marketer that everybody knows, sent out a survey at the end of her launch and said, hey, I noticed you didn't buy this thing. Could you tell me why? And it was just an open-ended, type anything you want into this box, like write an essay, once upon a time you sent me an offer and I didn't buy it, into this box, which is lovely to be able to like read and try and learn from for your next launch. But we were like, it doesn't do anything now though. So that was where the idea came from. So instead, what we do is we basically give them the four or five most popular options and say, listen, it's, it's probably going to be one of these things which one is it? People choose that option. It takes them to the page where you go, hey, listen, I totally get it. I totally understand why you feel that way. And then we overcome that objection. And we got a whole framework for that, which we wouldn't have time to go into here. But we overcome that objection that changes their belief in a non-argumentative way from feeling like they can't afford it or feeling like they haven't got time or feeling like it's not a priority right now into a thing that is. And then people buy off the back of that. And literally, our newest member of staff, Aiden, he was a customer of ours originally with his previous business, which he then exited. Uh, but the way he came, even came into our world at all was by going through that campaign. He went in thinking, this is not for me, bought through that and then bought everything, joined our mastermind. And then the final upsell in our funnel is you get a job with us, by the way, if you just keep buying stuff, uh, eventually uh, we'll hire you. And then that's that. So just so you know. So that's the O of score. So we've got sales, content led, and then objection handling. The next one is risk reversal. So R for risk reversal. And this is where we're going to, again, we all do risk reversal generally in our marketing. We talk about the results they can get. Maybe you've got a guarantee on your stuff. Like we all talk about risk reversal, but just having it on your sales page or just mentioning it in an email isn't enough. So we literally turned an entire campaign out of risk reversal. So that might be that you offer a trial if you've got a membership or a subscription. It might be that you offer a splinter if your thing is expensive and you want to offer a lower ticket thing to get people through the door. It might be that you do an open day if you've got kind of some, some kind of ongoing coaching thing. We've got an open day campaign where people get to come and it's not a trial. They get to literally attend a coaching call for free with no credit card, see how that goes. And then based on how they engage with that, we follow up with them differently. But we're going to reverse the risk and show them we can help them by actually helping them, uh, showing them what they're going to get at a lower at a lower resistance thing. Again, something normally somebody would just reference somewhere. Again, we've made a whole campaign out of it. And then finally, the E of score is to do with engagement. So this is engagement monitoring to make sure you follow up with the most engaged people differently. If people are sitting and they're looking at your stuff every other day, but they haven't bought it yet, we want to follow up with those people differently to the people who never click on anything. We have our welcome sequence that brings people in. So with this score methodology, where the five elements, sales, content, objection, handling, risk, reversal, and engagement, they don't have to go in that order. You can mix them up however you want. We would recommend you start with some sort of engagement thing to welcome them in and then a direct sales thing, just because that's going to handle the most ready to buy people straight away, put a load of money in the bank, also help the people who are most eager. And then the rest of it, you can mix and match that however feels right for you with all of those different types of campaigns. 
But basically that allows us to talk about the same thing from totally different modalities to totally different people who've got different psychological buying triggers. And on top of that, let's say each of those campaigns took a week and some of them are a lot more than that. That means you've now got five weeks worth of stuff happening, which means that that's quite a long time for somebody to have not been in the right place to buy it five weeks ago, but they are by the end, especially when they've been through all of this extra stuff. But none of it feels, apart from the first bit, none of it feels particularly salesy. From that point on, everything is cloaked so well in either content or a survey or you know a, what looks like a different offer from the outside. That's how we did it. So much value in that. So with that score engine, from start to finish, how long would you say that typically runs for? That takes our subscribers 60 days to get through. It can be shorter because if people click on certain emails, it'll like accelerate them through. But if they don't engage them, it can take up to 60 days for people to go through that. Now, here's the really important thing. Because that just sounds pretty intimidating, doesn't it? Like 60 days of emails and sales and content and oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do? Here's the beautiful thing about implementing your score engine, right? We've studied like every email marketing methodology under the sun and they all look like a spaghetti junction of mess where you're afraid that your subscribers are going to fall through the cracks or when you need to update or change something, it's hard to know where anything is. This is really linear. They go from sales sequence to content sequence. Then they go from content sequence to objection sequence. You just link them together. And of course, your subscriber doesn't know they're doing that. Your subscriber doesn't know that today they got the last email of your sales sequence and tomorrow they're getting the first email of your content sequence. All they know is today they got an email and tomorrow they get another email. That's all they know. But here's the really beautiful thing is you build it module by module and you set it live as you go. Unlike these complex spaghetti junction things where you've got to have all these different campaigns that relate to each other, you've got to set the whole thing up and then bravely tiptoe over to your computer and press go live, put your fingers in your ears and sort of tense and hope that it doesn't all blow up on your face and subscribers don't go crazy because they just got 300 emails. Unlike that, because I don't like complication, right? That's not the way that great businesses run, is it? So instead, you build your sales sequence. And the first thing you're going to do when you've written your sales sequence is you're going to send it out live. Great. And you're going to look at your open rates and your click-through rates. And if you're happy with them or you want to tweak any of them, do that. Now you've got some data. You've just made some sales. Great. Immediately. Like you didn't have to wait. You got immediate sales. And then you put that into your automation. And while that's running, and every new subscriber's coming through, you're making sales from that. You didn't just send a bunch of emails which are spent, like a social media post, you spend, you, you spend those. Whereas what you're doing with writing these emails is you're making an asset, which yes, you profit from today, but you also profit from, I mean, we wrote ours two years ago and I've never even looked at it since. But while that's running and making your sales, you're off in a corner. You might take a month off, have a little bit of a travel with your family. But when you get back to it, you write a content-led sequence. But all that time, all of that time, your sales sequence has been working for you. And now you write your content sequence. And guess what you do? All the people who have gone through your sales sequence, you send it out to them live. And you make sales today. And then, surprise, surprise, you're already ahead of us, I'm sure, you stick that straight after the sales sequence. And now when anybody new joining the list goes into your email sequence, they go through your welcome sequence, they go through your sales sequence, they go through your content sequence. Meanwhile, while that's all happening and you've made profit today, you're making profit going forward, you now start making objection sequence. So you can make it at your own pace 
and be seeing the results of it as you go, which is really important. Long-term investments are difficult for people to make sometimes, especially if you're starting up. I don't know, I'm just a bloody impatient sod. I want to like do some work and I want the immediate gratification. I want the pat on the back. That's what I want. So you build each bit one, one at a time. That's it. What you said in that as well, I really want to pull out about the idea of building an asset yeah. because so many people get stuck in just creating marketing material and it goes out and within 24 hours it's expired and you need to start again from scratch. I love how you frame it as an asset. There's a couple of things with that. So in, in our business, somebody joins our list, they go through this engine, and if they don't buy, then at the end of it, they just drop into our day-to-day -day emails. In our business, that's every day, but we're very upfront about that. You're going to join our list for our daily email tips about email marketing. They go through this engine, which again, as Kennedy hinted at, they just think that that's the daily emails because it feels like it. When they get to the other end of that, though, they go into the genuinely sort of live daily emails as we're sending them out. And the truth is, if we stopped sending those daily emails, like if we just stopped and went, I'm going to stop doing that, that's that. Our business would still make probably 70% of the money that it does make because most of our sales come in through that 60-day engine. The daily emails and whatever you do as your sort of long-term nurture, if you like, is really there to keep in touch with people and keep building relationships and keep your deliverability high and all of that stuff so that when you do have a big launch or something happening on top of this, they're still engaged and you don't suddenly just turn up and be like, hey, I've got something to buy because uh, nobody likes that. That's the most salesy thing in the world, by the way. That's way more salesy than turning up and selling every day, which is counterintuitive, but true. And so those daily emails are there. But if we took them out, like I said, we would still make us about 70% as much money as we do. But even then, some of those daily emails just fairly recently I send most of the emails to our email marketing business. I write and send most of those emails. And there was a period of time recently where we'd just taken on too much stuff. We had too many things going on at the same time. And we were writing campaigns for webinars at the same time as for a product launch at the same, and then daily emails on top of that. And I was just really burnt out at one point because we'd just taken on too much stuff. And because of how our, the nature of our email marketing is normally the opposite of that. Normally we do next to nothing, send an email every day for 20 minutes and that's about it. So I said, okay, I'm just going to dig back through my email inbox where I'm subscribed to our own emails. And I'm just going to go back like a year. And I just grabbed a load of daily emails that I sent a year ago that weren't like time sensitive. They weren't talking about Christmas or, you know, Easter or anything like that. I just grabbed a load of emails and some of them, I read them. I don't even remember writing this. Like I looked at the subject line, what's that about? So I clicked on it, had a look through, don't remember sending them, but I must've done it at some point, copied and pasted those and just queued them up for the next sort of couple of weeks, just so that daily emails were taken care of. And nobody on our team noticed, like nobody noticed I've read this email before. So even like our sort of day-to-day -day email marketing, we've started not, not massively because I, I do get, I do find a therapeutic benefit in writing those daily emails, but just when, when things are a bit tough or I want to go on holiday or something's happening and I want some time off from it, like you can even repurpose those day-to-day -day emails too. I think there's a really important bit about these emails. You might be thinking, that's a lot of emails, 60 days of emails, plus doing one every day. And I think there's a really big key here for folks. I want to just alleviate this big pressure. Shorter emails work better. One, they're shorter for you to write, which is great. But secondly, people don't want to read a really long email. Like people's attention spans are short. Imagine if your email was like as short as some of your social media posts, way more consumable, People find out a bit about you. They're going to consume and they're actually going to get to the point. And the best way of doing that is the, the biggest bit of feedback we give to people when we're coaching them in our programs is that email is not an email. And they look at us like, what do you mean it isn't an email? What do you think it is, a turtle? And I'm like, no, it's not an email. It's like six emails. You've done a bit of like teasing and like setting it up. Then you've done a bit of social proof and then you've done a, a bit of urgency. 
That's three emails. Think about how way less time that's going to take you if you just did an email which was like, hey, Natalie had this amazing success. She reset her campaign out and she made X multiples of what she did on her last launch. Isn't that awesome? If that's the only thing I'm talking about, that bit of social proof, that case study, and then I go into, if you want the same campaigns that Natalie's using, then come and join our membership, blah, 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 blah. That's the only focus. By having just one message, the power of one in marketing is critical. One message at any one email at any one time. Put that thing on a pedestal. Put a shiny, big, bright light on it and say, this is the thing my email is about. And if you look at your email, you write an email and you go, and, and if you have my voice, you put a thing in my head, in your head, going, what is this email about? What is this email about? And if you can't tell me the one thing that email is about, you haven't written an email. You've made a, you've made a tortoise. Do you know what I mean? The other thing that comes out of that when people write these long emails is either they do what Kennedy just described and it's a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of that, or it's none of those things because they've tried to do so many of those things. It's ended up literally going around in circles and not saying anything by the end of it. So you end up in one of those two kind of difficult situations with these long emails. One is it's changed direction so many times as your thought, pro thought process has gone on that by the end of it, you thanks very much, Rob and then hit send. And then when you read it back, it doesn't even go anywhere. It hasn't got a beginning, a middle or an end that's just all over the place. It's the other peril that comes with writing emails that are too long. So true. So true. I feel seen, you guys. Real question. How much of your background in hypnotizing and reading minds do you bring into your marketing? Like, do you use those tricks in your actual marketing? It's interesting. People often think because of our backgrounds that we must be obsessed with clever, persuasive words and, and NLP and all that sort of stuff. But here's the real truth about being more persuasive, being more impactful and using ethical influence. The words in any communication, if you've ever been on a communication course about doing public speaking or anything like that, they'll tell you the words you say are only worth 20% of what the meaning that is derived from it. 20%, that is it. The other 80% is what's known as the paralanguage, the stuff that runs parallel to those words, how you say it, your body language, your inference, your intonation, all those sorts of things. But for some reason, no one's ever realized that if the words are the least important bit in all communication, why does everybody else who's teaching email marketing focus on writing good copy? So here's an interesting thing. If you just search online, what's the, what is the goal for how much we should be making for every email subscriber we've got on our list? Here's a really cool calculation, by the way. If you're thinking, am I making enough money from my email list? Here is the calculation you want. The statistic, the piece of data, because I know Natalie and everyone in your world are obsessed with getting that data. Feelings are important, but let's get down to the data. The data that we want is EPSPM. EPSPM. And it stands for earnings per subscriber per month. How much are you making from each subscriber you've got each month, month on month? So the way you calculate it, really simple, obviously, is you just say, I've got a thousand email subscribers. I make a thousand pounds a month or a thousand dollars a month. One number divided by the other is I'm making one dollar per subscriber per month. One dollar per subscriber per month is the goal that everyone's trying to get to. If you look online, that's if you look for how much I'm trying to make per subscriber I've got, the thing is one dollar. 
every email marketing, literally every email marketing course we've ever we've ever bought has been trying to get people to that point. We had a big marketing guru try to uh, sell us on installing his system that was going to get to us, get us to $1 per subscriber per month. And we had to say to somebody, we adore respect is like, is our Taylor Swift. <laughs> we had to say to this person, please don't because you'll make us bankrupt. Because we're actually, funnily enough, having a meeting about this this morning, our earning per subscriber per month is $20. So if you try and get us to $1, you'll kill us. This is really, really important. You want to make sure that you're calculating this earning per subscriber per month. So the size of your list doesn't matter. How much money you are able to extract from that list is really, really important. And that's why, and the reason, by the way, and to go back around to that point, the reason that everyone's trying so hard to get to $1 per subscriber per month, and that is a struggle, it's because everybody else who's doing email marketing, teaching email marketing, is focusing on the same thing. They're trying to make faster horses. They're trying to improve the copywriting. They're trying to improve the words. The thing that only represents 20% of the impact we make. Instead of trying to make faster horses, what we do to have more impact, to use ethical influence on people, rather than all that sneaky wordsmithing, copywriting stuff that honestly, it makes you feel sick in your mouth. That's not the stuff we're interested in. What we're interested in is using really robust, really beautiful campaign structures, hooks, and timing. Because actually, if you think about we're going to influence somebody, no magic words really exist. Sorry, Harry Potter fans, they don't really exist. The magic words aren't going to get you there. It's when things are said, how they're said who they're said to, the hook that gets us interested. So we don't focus on making faster horses. We instead invent the motor car. We use the stuff that affects the 80%. And that's what real ethical influence is. And it's the same skills you use to be a person who is nice. It's, a per it's the same skills you use to be a person who people enjoy the company of and the people who you attract. It's the same skills, just be more, being more cognizant of those things. Amen. Amen. There's so many things as well that I notice you both doing in emails that I don't see done by many other people. And it's simple things like storytelling. Simple, th and I say simple, obviously such an art to really master thinking about the hook, like, okay, you know, you can have the best email in the world. And if you've got a terrible subject line, no one's going to open it. And you can see the real structure that you guys put in place. Going back to what you said about EPS PM, how would someone calculate that? So the first thing is some sort of tracking thing in place just to pay attention to how much money you're actually making. Obviously, hopefully you're doing that. That's a, that's a story for a different episode. And you can set your own parameters on this as long as they're the same every month, right? So long as you're tracking this, tracking it exactly the same way. But the way that we typically do it is we'll say, how many broadcastable people did we have on our list at that particular time, you know, from the first to the last day of, I wasn't going to go through the rhyme quickly, how, how many days there are in, say, September. 30 days has September. It's at the beginning. There you go. Um, oh, it's the worst. Can we just say that's the worst rhyme ever? 30 days, half September, June, and March. Like, it Kennedy doesn't even doesn't rhyme. It. It's the worst. Famously in our business, Kennedy doesn't know the words to it. So there you go. Anyway, from the 1st to the 30th of September, 
how many broadcastable subscribers did I have in my list at that point? How much money did I make? And we literally divide the amount of money by the number of subscribers. And then that's what that's the sort of end goal. And as long as you keep those parameters the same in terms of, am I including everyone on my list? Am I including recurring revenue? As long as you keep the parameters the same, then it's a, it's a really fair metric to track. But what's nice about it is it's trackable. If somebody says, you know, I've got a, a list of a thousand subscribers and I'm making a thousand dollars a month, my earning per subscriber per month is one dollar per subscriber. Great. And then going forward, if they have a million subscribers on their list and they're making a million dollars a month, they can look at it and go, I'm still making one dollar per subscriber per month. Whereas if they get a million people on their list and they're making a hundred thousand dollars a month, you would think, oh, my income has grown from a thousand dollars a month to a hundred thousand dollars a month. I'm doing great. But actually the effectiveness of your email marketing has dipped. So unlike the way most people track this, it gives you a really scalable way of actually checking the effectiveness of your email marketing, because again, this is not about having a massive list and being able to make in order to make any money. You want to be able to make the most you've got from the subscribers that you've got, however many you've got. And so by having this really comparable number, when I had a thousand subscribers, I was making a dollar a month. I've got a million subscribers. I'm still making a dollar a month. The impact of my email marketing hasn't dipped with the growth of my list, which is what most people will find happens. Most things start to break at scale. And so what that means is, and we just see this all the time, um, that one of the things we'll do is somebody will come and join our world with quite a big list. One of the first things we'll do is we'll make their list smaller. In other words, we'll do some re-engagement stuff to find out who's not paying attention anymore, who's harming their deliverability, because everyone who's not opening your emails is harming your ability to get in front of the people who do want them. So like, we've got to tidy that up. So we'll massively cut back their list. And you know, maybe they've got 10,000 people to start with, and they'll find out they're about to delete 6,000 people. And that seems terrifying, but they'll go and they'll do it. They'll delete 6,000 people. Now they've got 4,000. But the amount of money they're making is higher than it was before because they're able to save the amount of the save the cost of having 6000 subscribers on their list that's expensive the amount of money they're making per subscriber has gone up too which means that their their email marketing is now more effective than it was before so that's really what we're looking for here rather than these vanity numbers like the size of my list and that kind of thing can we dive into those numbers a little bit more in terms of having people on your list that aren't opening or aren't engaging with your emails what are some rules around that like how long do you let them sit on your list before you delete them and can you just explain that a bit more? Sure. I think a lot of people don't realize, in fact, we were asked to speak at a really, really exclusive mastermind. I don't know why the heck they asked us, but they asked us to go and speak at this really fancy schmancy mastermind in Orlando. And when we gave a presentation about this, like some of the biggest giants email marketing were there and they were all like writing stuff down and like going crazy for it. Here's the thing. The people who are on your email list who are not engaging, opening, and clicking links, clicking links is really super important. What's happening is they are damaging what's called your sender reputation, which is basically every time you log into your active campaign or whatever you've got, your, your system, your email marketing system, every time you do that and you send an email, Gmail and all these other companies are looking at what happens when you send an email. And if they notice, well, every time like that, that John over there sends an email, 90% of people don't even bother opening it. John's emails must suck. And it keeps watching every time he's on an email. People still don't like his emails. We're going to start demoting them from, well, we're going to move them from primary over into maybe the promotions tab. And then if it doesn't get any better, we're going to stick them in spam. And if it doesn't get any better, we're going to blacklist them and say you can't send emails anymore. 
That's what's happening. The people who don't, who are disengaged are affecting your ability to send emails. Whereas compare that to, to where Natalie sends an email and 90% of her email list open it. Well, Gmail goes flip and heck, her emails are amazing. They're great value. I'm going to make sure they're always in the primary folder. And that's what it's doing. And the reason they're doing this is to protect people's inboxes. I mean, spamming your inbox is getting less and less and less because Gmail and stuff are getting smarter and smarter at looking at all of this stuff. So what we want to do is make sure that when we send an email, people are going to engage. Do that a few different ways. One, remember that people are going to disengage and they do it for a whole bunch of reasons. One, they might have just changed email address because they were getting loads of spam. So that email address that they registered your email list with is no longer being used. It's a great reason. Secondly, they might have solved their problem. And if you didn't sell them quick enough, they solved it by buying something from somebody else right? Or they might have not, they might just not have that problem anymore. They might not be interested in that thing. They might have switched, they might have switched off. There's a whole bunch of reasons that people might have disengaged. So what we do is we set up an, a simple automation, our email system that looks for people engaging. And we're looking for making sure that people are engaging. And by engaging, we mean clicking links. Because unfortunately, since about just over a year, all the platforms, Apple and Android, are now marking some emails as opened when they weren't, and some emails as not opened when they were. They're blocking all of that open data. So we have to now rely on link clicks, which is way more reliable. So we're looking out for people who do not click a link in any rolling 60-day period. 60-day period. Now, what's advised by the big companies is that it's 90 days. We're a little bit more mean than that. Part of that will depend on your frequency of emails. So if you only send an email once a month, like a monthly newsletter, then honestly, three emails in 60 to 90 days is not really long enough to collect that data. It's one of the big reasons we advocate sending emails more often. One of our rules is that if you're emailing less than three times a week, you might as well not bother. That often kicks a cat amongst the pigeons, which I found out is a British expression. So Americans won't understand that. But that ruffles feathers. That's probably Brit Anyway, it annoys people. And so it's going to depend on your frequency because we email every day. If somebody gets 60 emails from us and they haven't clicked on a link in any of them, uh, that for us is like a big sign of disengagement. And I think if you're emailing three times a week, uh, then again, 60 days is a pretty good period. If you're emailing less than that, you might need to extend that period a little bit just in order to get enough data, in order to give people enough chances to click, especially if you don't have something to click in every email. So just play around with that a little bit. But as much as possible, try and amp up frequency so that you can shorten that window. And remember, the biggest reason that people disengage or report you as spam is because they've forgotten who you are. It's the biggest reason. They've forgotten who you are. Like, I've joined someone's list a few months ago, it turns out. I got an email from them this morning. I was like, who's this guy? How am I on this chap's list? And it turns out about three months ago, I joined his email list. No wonder. And most people wouldn't do that level of detective work. They would just go spam. And that's your reputation, really soiled, you know? So what we do, but this is what's important. When someone is disengaged after the period of time you've decided, don't do what most people do which is look like what we call the desperate ex-boyfriend. What happens a lot in disengagement and re-engagement sequences is the first email that goes out. So somebody's disengaged, you tag them in your email system automatically, then you start the re-engagement sequence. We call it an LOL revival sequence, an LOL revival sequence. And I'll take you through it. Most people, what they do is they go, oh, Natalie, dear, dear Natalie, mail merge. I've noticed that we, we, you no longer read my emails. And I'm really sad about that. We used to be friends. What happened? And you just look like this desperate ex-boyfriend. And it's embarrassing. That's what most people's disengagement sequences start off like. You might be thinking, oh my God, yeah, that's mine. 
don't worry, that's, that's what most people are teaching or that most people are doing. As you'll notice, almost everything we do is the opposite of what people are teaching. It's what really, really works based on the human beings, the psychology of the people on your email list. That's what this is about. So the first phase of our LOL revival sequence is learn, L for learn. And that is, we just send them an email which says, hey, they don't know they're in a revival sequence. We don't tell them. We say, hey, I've got this really cool video. I've got this really cool bit of content, which is about big T's, big T's. Click here, go check it out. What you're going to do is you're going to link to your already proven most popular piece of content that you know people love. This is not the time to get clever. This is not the time to sell anything. The only thing you want is them to click a link. As we call it, you want proof of life. <laughs> All you want, right? You want them to click a link. And so you're going to use your already most popular YouTube video, your most popular podcast episode, blog post, social post. That's what you're going to put in there. And you can do that for a few days. And some people will respond to that and they're re-engaged. Cool. They're back on the list. They're back on the team. They're back at your emails. Lovely. Some people won't. So now I'm going to go into the O phase of LOL. And that is something that everybody loves, which is to have an opinion. That's the opinion phase. And we're going to email them and say, hey, what do you think of? And then ask them their opinion on anything that they can ask, that they can have an opinion on, a really quick opinion on. Do you think this is important or that's important? Or, you know, here's a picture of me in two outfits. Do you prefer this one or that one? I don't care what the opinion's about. All I want them to do is click a link to make their choice. That's all we care about, you know? And, you know, if we don't any more convincing that people love to have an opinion, pull over to Twitter or whatever it's called this week and just have a look whether people like to have an opinion. Of course they do, right? So opinion. And it's only then on the third phase, if they still have not engaged by clicking a link to look at your piece of content, or if they haven't clicked a link to give their opinion, to vote on something, then they go into the final phase, which is the loss phase, L-O-L, loss. And that's when you show up, but you do it with empathy and you do it with service. And this is really important. When people are not on your email list, there's a chance you're not, when people are not engaging in your emails, there's a good chance that you're now just annoying them. So what we're going to do is we're going to show up and say, hey, I've been trying to get in touch with you for a while. I just want to check, do you still want to learn about email marketing? If you do, just click the link below and that'll let me know that you're still happy to receive my emails because I'd hate to be sending you emails that you don't want to receive because let's be honest, we all get too much of everything. And we have a few emails that just do that. And the final email just says, hey, I've been trying to get in touch for a while. We've not heard from you. I'm going to just unsubscribe you from our list for now. And it might be that you're away from your computer or whatever. If you ever want to come back, there's a link here to resubscribe yourself. But I would hate to be sending you emails that you don't want to receive. Do you see how that's way nicer than the desperate boyfriend technique, which everybody else is doing? For the first two phases, they don't even know they're in re-engagement. Re We're winning people back into our world, back on the team, before they even know that sort of almost available for relegation. They don't even know that. Two sporting references in one sentence. I've never made a sporting reference before in my life. Please be proud of me, my people. And as you would expect with this, most people who do re-engage do it from the one of those first two phases because the longer somebody takes to re-engage, the less likely they are going to. And so what that means is for those people, because they never know they were in this revival campaign, we don't want to put the idea of something in somebody's head, right? If you'll know if you've ever had an argument with your partner about anything, right? The last thing you want to do is drop an idea into their head that they might be right or you know, something about that. So 
with this, we, we don't want to like plant the seed that they've disengaged because that's where they go, oh, well, I suppose I have sort of disengaged. I'm not really paying attention. There probably is a reason for that. Maybe I'm not interested in any, And they sort of talk themselves out of re-engaging. So because most of the people re-engage in those first two sections, they don't even know it's ever happening from their point of view. They're just continuing to receive your daily emails. It's a big running theme of our stuff is that from the minute somebody subscribes to your list, they're told you're going to email them. We do a lot of bridging in our welcome sequence to make sure that they go from being somebody who just wanted a lead magnet to somebody who wants to get our emails every day. But from the moment they're on our list, it just looks like they're receiving continual emails. It doesn't feel like they're being taken out of one campaign, put into another, in daily emails back into a campaign again. And notice how none of this, any of this conversation we've been having for like almost an hour now, none of it has been about wordsmithing, copywriting, clever ninja words that might add a little percentage within that 20%. None of it. Because can you add those sprinkles to the top of the cake and do they make it more jazzy? Yeah, of course you can. Do we teach that stuff? Yes. But actually the main meat of what we do and the big needle mover is the strategic stuff, sending that campaign to the subscribers again, and all the things we're talking about. We're not really talking about worrying about the words. So if the thing that's holding you back from sending more emails, if the thing that's holding you back from having more impact on your people is you're worried about having the right words, good news, you're free of that. The words don't matter. Show up, be you, tell stories about you, connect with the people, show up more often. Use strategic based things that make 80% of the difference. Don't get hung up on that tiny 20%. Doesn't matter. Do we make typos in our emails? Mate, I'm dyslexic. I make typos in every email. It's even on my landing page that says, if you are offended by typos, don't sign up to our emails. Like, it doesn't matter. Those words don't matter. Let's get the strategy working and be free of it. So true. And I just love how clear of a system this is. My love language is systems and I just love how clear this is. So coming back to that, let's say someone's been on your list for 60 days. They've not clicked a single email. You've put them through your LOL revival campaign. They still didn't click a single email. Do you just then delete that person from your list completely? How you handle this is sort of up to you. Um, personally, in our business right now, our strategy is just to unsubscribe them, but not like not like the technological sense of unsubscribe. We just remove all the tags that mean they get any emails, right? So uh, that's all that's happening in the background. If you wanted to delete them, you can. The only reason we don't, and this is going to vary a little bit from platform to platform, is that it does mean that we're paying for potentially thousands of people who've been on our list at some point unsubscribed, and now we're paying every month to have those people, right? Because we just do. But what it means is we have a lot of people in our world who come back around again and again and again, right? They see an ad, they opt in, they're back on our list. And basically what we don't want them to do for them, our current thinking on it is we don't want them to go back through all of the stuff they've just been through at some point very recently, exactly as it was. We want them to take a slightly different route through if they choose to re-engage. And we have more control over that if we've got their entire contact history. Now, of right. course, that does mean it's a bit more expensive, but at the same time, we always look at your email marketing platform as something that should never be seen as a cost, right? Whenever you see your email marketing platform bill go out, like as business owners, we can all save money, right? We can all negotiate with software providers and see if we can get an annual deal instead of a monthly deal and we'll save some money. Cost cutting is a thing, right? But generally speaking, we see the benefits of keeping our entire list on our list, even if they're unsubscribed by tags and whatnot, is better than having this constant, like people being literally physically deleted. So you can kind of prioritize your cash flow where you want. I think like we have probably... We're probably like 12,000 people in our email marketing platform. Our broadcastable segment is about five, maybe 6,000 of those people and the others we're paying for. So our bill is a few hundred dollars a month and we make $1.2 million a year 
and growing fast based on the people that we're emailing. So like we just go, the, the cost of that just doesn't matter. It's costing us three three grand a year or whatever to have that that thing. Fine. And there's a false economy there. You could, you could do all this stuff to like save a bit of money, but like if you want to save some money, we might save $200 a month. So we're going to save, let's just, let's make it two grand a year. Okay. Or we could focus on doing better email marketing where the limit of how much money we can make is not just two grand, it's way more. So I think sometimes we focus on the wrong stuff. You go, actually, is the upside, the possibility for growth way greater than the possibility of how much we can save and also have a better experience for customers? Because that's what we want to do. A hundred percent. I'm in the exact same boat. And also you guys listening, I'm a member of their membership and everything they're mentioning in terms of these campaigns, you can actually go into the membership and just search and get the campaign. And there's always a really thorough training. There's a video that takes you through it and then you get to download. It's literally done for you. So you just add in the copy. I found it so helpful because I was trying to do this on my own and it's just saved me so much time. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. If you do have a business, if you have an email list, if you're planning to have an email list, I think this is an investment that we should all just have, to be honest. There's so much to be said for saving time with grabbing campaigns. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. Make sure you go and check it out. Where is the best place for everyone to find you and maybe enter into your world and get a taste for what you do? Yeah, a couple of things. Assuming you like podcasts, which I assume you do because you're here. We have our podcast. It's called The Email Marketing Show. It's every single Wednesday. There's a brand new episode. Usually it's just me and Kennedy chatting about stuff irreverently about email marketing. Every We have a lot of fun. We waste the first five or six minutes of the podcast just having fun. We're trying to make that long as, as long as possible uh, and just uh, see how many people get annoyed by it. We had a one-star review saying the podcast was too much fun. And so we're going to just lean into that and try and have more of that. So just get your podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It's The Email Marketing Show. Uh, that's the first place. Uh, the second place is uh, we have a free Facebook group, which is just a great free community of people. If you thought about this stuff today, you want to know, how do I apply that to my business? Because obviously your products, your service, the way you like to do stuff is unique. It's different. That's why we do this stuff. So definitely just go to Facebook if that's your kind of bag and search for the email marketing show community. We're not very good at naming things. So just put the word community on the end of the email marketing show. See what we did there. And of course, we do have a free resource that uh, we'd love to we'd love to give everybody. And we talked all the way through this episode about the importance of engagement and get, getting people to go and click and look at your offers. Here's the thing. The reason you want to have links in every single single one, by the way, big bonus tip. You want to have a link in every single one of your emails because that means people can go and click and look at your offers. There's not a buy button in your emails. But there is there is on your sales page or whatever. So make sure there's links in your emails. Also, that's proof that people are engaging. The problem with links and emails is you can sort of get blind to them and people sort of scroll past them and go, oh yeah, yeah. And they stop clicking them, which is not good for you getting people to your sales pages to make sales or for your engagement. So what we do is we have 12 different, very unique and creative ways that we dress up, literally dress up the links in your emails to make them look really different. Some of them are really strange that you've never seen before, I promise you. So we've put them together into a really cool resource called Click Tricks. And if you go to emailmarketingheroes.com slash boss babe, emailmarketingheroes.com slash boss babe you'll be able to download that click tricks resource it's totally free you get to join our email list experience the email marketing that we do so you can actually see all the stuff we're talking about today in practice as well which i think is always an extra little bonus i love it and join the membership because it's really 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 good for the amount of information that you've really given this was such a fun podcast to do so thank you so much for being here we'll have to do a second time absolutely that sounds great thanks for having us 